Have your Bibles there with you? You know, what Ed read earlier, we're going we're gonna to take the very first part of that, ser- that part of a greatest sermon ever preached. Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, you know what? You could actually memorize the words that we're going to use to talk about this morning because there's only two of them. We found most people can remember two words. Uh, judge not. But let's get, get ahead of myself. We're actually going to begin this morning our study in Sermon on the Mount, the very last part. The very last leg, which is uh, begins to chapter seven, um, a lot of people see this last part of the Sermon on the Mount as just a collection of proverbs, kind of like James, you know, or something like that. A collection of proverbs that Jesus gave us in the New Testament. But here's the thing: we have an advantage here this morning because this group has been studying God's Word, the Sermon on the Mount, for the last few weeks. And we know that it, it flows. It's a progression. And Jesus had intention in putting it together the way that he did. So we're gonna, we've been following it all the way from Matthew 5 all the way through. And it really has told us a whole lot of things about how to live and how we are to be, how we are to present ourselves to the world, how we're to live, ourselves, live out in the world. This last part is about judgment. Huh. Well, everybody came here this morning to hear about that, I know. It's easy for us to see how this ties into the rest of it because of what we've been doing in it. You know, remember, first there was the Beatitudes. And he gives us a description of a Christian's true character in the Beatitudes. It's not just one thing at a time or something's going to get you qualified to get into heaven or be called a saint. It's actually how we are to be as Christians with Christ living in us. And then he shows us the effect that the world has on us and in, in, in how we are to live in it and how we are to react to it. I hate that word, react, don't you? Are you a Christian reactor? I know a lot of nuclear reactors that walk around on legs, don't you? But you know what? We're to, we're to react the way that Jesus lives inside of us. And then he reminds us of our effect on the world when we do that, that we're the salt Everybody here is an old salt, right? No, some of them are young salts. But we're all salts, right? Because that's, we're the ones that are, that, are, that are making the world, giving it its flavor and seasoning it, so to speak. And then it's also we're the ones who prevent the decay. It is decaying out there. And so we're the ones who prevent that. And then we're also the ones who are the light of the world so that we present it so that all the world can see all the darkness that we're living in, that we walk in. And after showing us all of that then, that was in, in Matthew 5, he says, after showing us that where we are in the world, he gives us instructions how to live. He begins with our relationship to the law. We have a wrong understanding of the law. We found all that out, didn't we? And he uses the Pharisees who are sitting in front of him in the congregation as their example to show how it's been falsely taught about what the law is and how we are to look at it in our lives and, and that's the theme of that long section, I guess, really, at the end of, of uh, chapter 5, uh, where Jesus gives us those six main principles. We're not going to go over them again. That's to be held up against the interpretation of the law that the world gives. And at that point, then, Jesus is teaching us how to behave just in general when we're out there in the world and how the law applies to us as Christians and what is expected of us. And then in chapter 6, he tells us all about our relationship with God the Father. Remember that part? God the Father, we are his children, and he treats us like children that he loves because he's our loving Father. We don't look at it that way, do we? 
How many people, you know, you think, draw me a picture of God, and they give you a guy with a long beard. <laughs> Mine's short. They give him a long beard, you know, and, and, and a guy that's kind of kind of look at you sitting up there like, like your third-grade school teacher with going to hit you and you do something wrong. That's not God. God is the one who loves us, and he keeps us in line with his law. That's how we respond to his law, the right way to do it. And then he shows us the danger of living for the things of this world and, and being concerned about having too little or too much in this world. Wow. That one just comes back every day in my life. How about you? It does, doesn't it? We get so concerned about the things that are in our lives, and, and uh, we get in, into that. And you know what? We found last week that the world sneaks up on us on that one. It sneaks up and it traps us into thinking that we can't do without certain things in the world. Uh, in this last part, it appears to be about our relationship with God. But you know what? It's really about our relationship with people because it's always God first and then people, right? But it's also about our relationship with all of that. You know what? He shows us that our life here is a journey that leads to a final judgment, and that's what we're going to start talking about this morning. We need to keep that, that thought in our minds always. That's what we're doing, folks. We're all headed on this journey to a final judgment. Unfortunately, we live most of the time as if this is the only life and this is the only world, but it's not. There's another one that's coming. And I pray for every person here, and I believe probably it's the case that, you know what? We're going to be with God the Father forever and ever in the next world. Amen? Yeah. You know what? We know better. If someone was to ask us if there's a life after this one, and, and, and will there be a judgment before God? before passing into the next one, everybody here would say yes. But do we live like that's true? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. And that's what we need to be asking ourselves this morning as we look at, the, as this, uh, at this scripture this morning. You see, people in the world don't live that way, do they? I mean, you ever remember that old, uh, I think it was an army commercial, Live Life with Gusto? You only go around once in life? No, it was a beer commercial instead of live it with gusto. I don't think that was a beer brand, was it? No. Anyway. Live, live, live the life with, with gusto, or, or you only go around once in life, or, you know, give it all you got, be all you can be, whatever. Um, you know, they live as if the world controls them. And it does control a lot of people, but not all of us. You know, our prayer is that it's our Lord. We call Jesus Lord, that he is the one who controls all of us. You know what? Where we're getting ready to read, Jesus takes a lot of pain to show us here that we, we need to be reminded of that constantly. He's the one that's in charge. And all that we do in every moment we live, we remember that we are, we're kind of in a prep school here. You know, I, I guess I likened it earlier to us walking through the desert of life and all that sin around us. Yeah, I wish you could have been there on Thursday night. We realize that, that, you know, the sin all around us, God protects us from it. And we take our eyes off it and we start looking at the sin around us. The sin is represented by snakes in the Bible, right? And all these people took their eyes. They're walking with God every day and they look out and they said, golly, I wish I could. I really would like one of those, you know, those Egyptian hamburgers or something. They remember what happened way back in the past and they took their eyes off God. And all of a sudden, the snakes come out and start biting them. Represents sin, right? 26,000 died in one day. And God says, you know what? You put your eyes back on me. And guess what happened? 
They took those snakes, they nailed it to a cross and said, everybody that looks on this lives, and they did. God took them away from all that sin, took it out of their lives, but they had to look at God's salvation. They had to look at God's power, and that's what we need to be doing in our lives every day. Amen? Kind of in a prep school here, that's what I was trying to say, and and you know what? We are preparing for that final judgment, and it's coming for everybody. The final test where we have to give an account. And that's the theme of Matthew 7 about judgment. Jesus always, he, he gives us several views and several things that we are to consider. He says, Here, here's my declaration. Here's my pronouncement. I'm going to give it to you. And then he wants us to look at it with the examples that he gives us. And you know what? All the way through 7, it ends with two scenes. I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview, okay? This is not, we're not going to do this today. But it, there, there's two scenes, and uh, it, it shows two houses. Uh, one built on sand and one that isn't, one that's built on the rock. And he also gives us uh, two men who hear what Jesus is saying. And one puts his teaching into practice and the other doesn't. That's at the end of this judgment thing, through our walk, when we reach the final judgment. Oh, let me tell you what, this really is the greatest sermon that was ever preached. Here's why it's important. No one is left out. This sermon on the mount is for everybody. It's for everybody here this morning that hears it. And when I say hear it, I mean hears it, takes it in. Takes it into your mind and converts it into God's wisdom in your heart. He speaks to everyone here. And let me tell you what, there is no getting out of this. Everyone hears this this morning. And every day, you know, some read this because it it has so many helpful hints in chapter seven, so many little proverbs that you can live and how you can live life and enjoy it more. I'm sorry, but that's how this sermon is mostly preached. And that's sad. That's real sad. You know, they say, oh, this doctrine stuff is just too complicated. Uh, So let's just read the good parts of the Sermon on the Mount, make everybody feel warm and fuzzy. Mm hmm. But if we're, we're discovering all of the teachings in the Bible, especially here, is full of hard stuff. And it's stuff that we have to put into our lives and we have to live with. And matter of fact, when we do that, we're right back to the beginning, aren't we? We find out we're spiritually bankrupt. And we have to fall on our faces before Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can save us from all of this mess. There is nothing else. No good ideas, no good programs, no other God, nothing. But Jesus Christ can take away our sins. I believe the sermon is the introduction to all of the rest of the New Testament. Huh. Right here in the introduction, you really get the cliff notes right up front. Do you like that part? Those of you who have ever relied on cliff notes should say amen. Okay. Jesus begins this last part by talking about judgment in this world with regard to to another. Two words. Judge not. Same sermon, same preacher, same method. He gives us a rule or a truth and then gives us reasons for it. So he starts with this one pronouncement. Judge not. This is one of the most remembered verses in the whole Bible. Did you know that? I'll tell you what, about 15 years ago, I was studying this, and I went and I looked up, and, it's, and 
I think I went to Yahoo or someplace like that and said, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible, judge not lest you be judged. You've heard that? I went and did that same search here today, and I'm glad to tell you, just however many long it was, say 15 years later, that you look that up in the Bible, it takes you to a lot of Christian sites. That's pretty cool. Like that, like that a lot. I tried to find that poll, and I, I went to that great ubiquitous theological resource called Google. And I found thousands of questions, though, about uh, going back several years regarding this verse, but I didn't find that old poll. I guess it's gotten released. That's okay. But here's what I did find. This verse has been used for hundreds of years. Did you know that Abe Lincoln quoted this in his inaugural address? Pretty cool, huh? And let me tell you what. Here's another great theologian that's used it in in modern times, uh, Bob Marley. Has also used this and uh, used this a lot in, in his songs and his. Uh, one thing I can tell you: the best understanding of this verse is not going to be found at Google, and it's not going to be found in popular music or even in a presidential inaugural address. It's going to be found right there in your hands in God's Word. It's the only place you should ever go. That's still the best source. So let me say this: the incredible interest in this verse is terribly important to to this world we live in right now, especially today. It's pronounced by Jesus to a world that is focused on a personal commitment more than ever. This me generation is worried more about itself than anything else, right? This is the one that that lives for sensational events. This is the one that lives for a sensational stimulus. This this is the world that, that, that lives for leisure. And this is the one that lives for personal space. I love that one, don't you? I found most people, most of these guys that are looking for personal space and really search it all day long are really in outer space. It just does not work that way, does it? They hold all of that, though, to be the most important things in their lives. And the truth given by our Savior is more important than to a lost and dying world than ever before, folks. I'm not sure when he's coming back, but I know he's coming back because he said he would. And he said it could be today, and he said it could be 5,000 years from now. We don't know. But I know this, he's coming back. And I know 5,000 years from now, I'm not going to be here. So you know what? We need to know him today. And the fact that everybody is so interested in this, you can find a whole lot about this on the Internet, about this judge not. The fact that there's so much interest out there tells me and should tell us there's a whole lot of world that's concerned about it. And they're seeking the answer is truth. And let me tell you what, the truth is what? Is a person. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, ah, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So they're looking for the truth. And guess who knows the answer? And guess who knows the way? Us. We are the ones who know, sitting right here. Okay. This uh, lengthy search through even many websites commenting on 7-1 confirmed to me that the world wants to know, and they want to know the truth. They want to know about this judge, and they want to know the all-knowing one. But you know what? They don't want to be told about the all-knowing one that knows more than they do, do they? 
the, the they, did, they don't like those kind of thoughts. Woo, somebody knows more than I do. Come on, they can't know me. I know more about me than anybody. I live with me all the time. What? Let me tell you what I say. Go to the one who created you and lives with you and sees you every minute and every hour. Go to him and you'll find the truth. This thing that Jesus says about judge not that we're going to look at, it's a hard one. It is one of those hard ones. Um, it requires a strong person to hear it and to know it. And um, it, is, it really requires someone to have a strong belief in Jesus Christ to understand what this is really saying. It takes a committed Christian. But you know what? The world doesn't want to hear that because we're too hard to get along with. You ever heard that one? Mm, I know you have. Have you ever presented yourself in the workplace, in the grocery store, anywhere else? And said, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm staying with that one no matter what. Yeah, you'll find out they really don't like that. We're just too hard. There's never been a more important time to be able to explain this statement, judge not. One reason is that a lot of people say that judge um, not should be literally taken to mean that true, true Christians should never give an opinion about others. Heard that one, hadn't you? You can't judge me. Why, you're a Christian? Oh, your own Bible says you can't judge. Uh, we're to be tolerant. We're to be tolerant and, and accepting and allow whatever is necessary to get along with each other, right? We're just to be passive and let it all go by. Hmm. What we need is peace and unity. Uh, get your guitar. Let's go sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, okay? Let's do that <laughs> We have to all be one together. I want to teach the world a love song. We have a common enemy, so we need to all be together and, and to win for ourselves, right, if we're going to all together and love together. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Wow, I'm in. Who else is in? Hmm. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that at all. I think this is one of those scriptures that suffers from what I call placitis. Have I ever told you about that before? You know, a lot of people have a scripture on the wall, and it's just, you know, you have to read the whole thing to understand it. You know, um, I can't think of you right now, but, you know, I, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, you have to know what all things is by reading the whole verse. But, you know, but, but, but they put that up there on the wall, and they put a plaque around it, so you didn't get to see all the rest of the verse, right? This is one of those that suffers from what I call plaqueitis. It got plaqued out. The truth got plaqued out. You have to read the whole thing to see what it really means. It read this while ago, but look down at verse 6. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they, uh, they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now let me ask you this. How am I going to apply that without judging what kind of person is trampling? What kind of person is dogs? We can't do it, Christ told us. Amen. You have to know what it is. How are you going to do that without knowing that? Clearly, that requires us to make a judgment decision. Look at verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but uh, inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Now, how can I be aware of false prophets if I don't know what God's truth is? I have to make a judgment decision here, don't I? You know what that means, folks? I hate to tell you this. You have to read this thing. 
You have to know what God says from beginning to end. You have to know what God, he gave us this, which is full of the truth. We have to know his truth before we can decide what's false out there. Sometimes we try to decide what's false by reading just the parts we like or the part that, we were, that were given to us by someone else who may have been a false prophet. We have to go and know God's word, and he will give it to you in your mind and in your heart himself. He promises us that. You have to go and let the Holy Spirit fill you with God's word. You know what? How am I going to know false prophets out there nowadays? Why, they're so nice. They're so kind. And they have lots of money. They're doing something right because they've accumulated a lot of wealth all in the name of God. How can they possibly be wrong? They dress nice in sheep's clothing. And uh, all they speak with such confidence. And they even use the Bible. They quote the Bible so many times. And they get some of the verses right out of Scripture, word for word. But Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. If I don't know what the standard is, how can I test the fruit? I wish Lee was here this morning. Lee works in a, in a fruit produce warehouse. And he's working double time right now, but working two jobs, actually. But you know what? He actually can tell you by looking at the fruit whether or not it's bad or not. He can just look at it, he's, you know, like a good fruit inspector because he's read the book about that. He's also read this book, too. I didn't mean to talk about him without him being here, but... Beware, if you're not here, you will be talked about. <laughs> Probably will be some kind of illustration. Uh, you know, it's easy to be free and, and easy and indulgent towards anyone who says they're a Christian, isn't it? We get snuckered sometimes. One important thing to say here is that this judgment has to be exercised by us, and it must be applied to everything that we do. And let me I'm going to say this. Next week is vote, not this coming week, but the next week is when we go and vote. And those of you who vote, you need to know this needs to be applied to our, our nation's affairs. Scripture teaches us that God appoints judges and he appoints rulers. The people that are in these offices, you know, God appoints them according to his plan. But our country, we have the added privilege of being able to vote and decide whether or not the people that are appointed are his or not. Hmm. And if our leaders don't hear our voice, they don't hear us voting as Christians, we are allowing what is holy, what God has set aside as a holy thing to be about. And uh, we're going to allow those um, dogs to get into voice and, and get their voice in their place in office, I'm afraid. And uh, if our leaders don't hear our voice, then things like that will happen. If you are planning to vote next week, then uh, I would strongly encourage you to vote for candidates who take a stand, a Christian stand, a biblical stand. And some of them, you know what, here's another thing we need to be careful about. Some of them may not understand the word the same way we do, but if they're going to Christ, they will eventually. Amen. And they're going to know it the way that he wants them to know it. I believe those are the ones that are appointed by him. Been a lot of bad fruit that's come out of Annapolis and D.C., 
And um, the Christian, Christian judgment voice is working to change that. A lot of things have changed. So when you go to vote, hold things up against God's word when you go to vote, not up against things that you may want or things want of this world. Here's another place we need to apply this teaching is in the church. This is a hard part, folks. Christian judgment, Christian discipline in the church is almost non-existent. We really don't judge ourselves. We allow too many things to be done within the church based on what the secular world says should be done. When was the last time you heard someone of being excommunicated because there was sin in the camp? We don't do that. When was the last time someone was prohibited from taking communion within the church family because of church discipline? We don't do that anymore. That doesn't help the church body at all. That's because we're not judging, right? Let me tell you what. One early, really strong and outwardly spoken, something the whole world knew about the early Protestant church was, and I'm going to quote what an early church person said. The church is a place in which the word is preached, the sacraments are administered, and discipline is exercised. I don't think we do that anymore. We let that one slip even though we're, we're told in Scripture to do it. This judging thing is something we have to apply in all parts of our life. Let me tell you what. Judging also applies to this thing we call doctrine or Christ's teaching. Jesus tells us to detect false prophets and avoid them. But how can we judge if we don't know his teaching, if we don't know his doctrine? Paul wrote to the Galatians, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians 15, addressing those who denied uh, the resurrection, tells, tells them how to judge the false doctrine and to reject it. He warns Timothy to find the, the heretics and, and gives them the, in, in the process for rejecting them if you, if you do not res, uh, to respond to them with admonishment. We're supposed to resolve it and bring us all back together, but we have to judge first. Don't be afraid of that. And, and really Paul is saying to Timothy is, how do you know whether or not a man is a Christian if, if you believe that he must be one of you because he says he is? John, the apostle of love, one that Jesus loved, the, the gospel of love, he gives specific instructions how to judge false teachers and the Antichrist and tells us how to avoid and reject them. John, second John, he says, he, let me tell you, I love this. John takes off the gloves here, folks. He says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. These are hard, aren't they? Kind of quiet in here. 
But today, would you turn away someone if you knew that they were preaching false doctrine? Yeah, I think a lot in here would. But some people don't. They kind of go with it and say, oh, okay, we'll kind of go with the flow for now. Uh-uh. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus said the same thing to the Jews in John 7. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Jesus is saying to judge with right judgment. Whoa. We need to know what that is, don't we? Because he just said judge not. Now he's saying judge with right judgment. I'm told the Pharisees in Luke 16, you're those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Matthew 18. Now we know a little bit about that one here in this church. Most churches don't. If a brother comes and he sins against you, sins against you, not offends you, says something lousy or something about If he sins against you, Matthew 18 tells us what to do about it. He says we're to to go to them alone, and if they don't listen, then we go to the whole church and go to them. You actually go to two more and go to them, and then you go back to the whole church, and then if he still won't stop sinning against God's church, then you excommunicate him. All of that so that you can bring him back in at some point in time so he'll, he'll find God and find God's truth. Paul tells the Corinthians the same thing, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. He says, don't hang out with idolaters. Don't hang out with all those sinners. But withdraw from them if they persist. You know, we talked about that a little bit too in several Bible studies this week. What do you do when you're hanging out with sinners? You know, Jesus hung out with sinners, right? But he didn't keep on hanging out with them if they persisted. We shouldn't either, should we? These are only a few of the examples in Scripture. I encourage you to go read what it says. They require us to judge and draw conclusions and to act. You know, I... I heard someone one time said, don't just stand there, do something. We got it all backwards. We think it says, don't do something, stand there. Uh Uh-uh. It's not that way at all. We're we're to know what God's word says. We're to know how to be salt and light. And we're to do it, to act on it. So what is Jesus really saying here when he says, judge not? Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're talking here. Jesus is saying, what is he really saying when he says, judge not? It's evident when you consider the the whole counsel of Scripture. You have to read the whole thing. It's what Paul calls the whole counsel. That Jesus is not saying to never never make a decision. He doesn't say that at all. Or, Or we're not to judge what is right and wrong. What Jesus is saying is not to condemn. Did you hear me? He said, don't condemn He didn't say don't judge. He said don't condemn. You know why? That's God's business. It's not ours. We can't condemn anybody, yet we do. Christians are quick to overact and to swing, go in swinging, cutting off heads, doing whatever. You know what? We have a whole lot of balancing opportunities in the Christian life, don't we? (laughs) But you know what? It's on God's sword. One commentator said that it's like living on a knife edge with truth being the center and error on both sides to fall into. 
that may be painful illustration, but it puts our thoughts in the right place, doesn't it? Well, we're not to refuse to judge what is right and wrong. We're not to condemn or pronounce final judgment again. That's God's business. So let's use the Pharisees and the crowd as an illustration. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because Jesus did, and they were there. We would never have any Pharisees in here, I know. Jesus has spoken to them in most of the sermon because they're right there in front of him. And I think they represent a lot of things that are still going on in our hearts, in our, our lives. Um, they misinterpreted the law, and, and, and they, they, they abused it, didn't they? They, they were material, materialistic in the world. We wouldn't do that. And, and, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they gave offerings where everybody could see what they did. Hmm. And they certainly fit the picture Jesus is painting here. And you know what? They were in the crowd. So I think he probably had them in mind and probably some other people that might be like them that would read this later on. Remember the story in Luke 18 where the Pharisee is standing by himself and here's what he prayed. He said, God, I think that, that I thank you that I'm not like other men. Yeah. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. And then he tells of the great things that he has done. Wow. I'm underwhelmed. How about you? And that's the judging and that's the condemning mind that Jesus is talking about right here. As we read on in the New Testament, we're going to find out that this was not just confined to the Pharisees. Um, the early church fought it all the way through the forming of the early church all the way through the Reformation, and it still goes on today. <clears throat> Passage, remember, is where Jesus told the Pharisees about, remember, to, to stone the woman when they were getting ready to stone her, the, the altars, and he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And there's probably no other point in Jesus' sermon that hurts us today as much as this one. Judge not. As Christians, we seem to be the first to shoot our own, don't we? We're to judge and to discern, but act. But we cannot issue the final judgment. So, what is this wrong that Jesus is uh, talking about? Let me tell you what it is, folks. It's a wrong spirit. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And that's to build us, our spirit, as Christ gave us. Uh, the wrong spirit in us is one that condemns. When you find yourself condemning someone, that's the wrong spirit. Uh, the me seems to always be the core of the problem, doesn't it? You ever think about that? When I condemn, I, look at me too, I do it, I've done it. You know what, I ask for forgiveness too regularly. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying? It shows up in self-righteousness, uh, a feeling of superiority. You know, I did this right, they didn't. Or that we're right and others aren't. 
and it becomes derogatory to others and we start to despise people and we start thinking down on them and treat them with contempt and guess what we just judge them in the wrong way we've condemned them hadn't we let me tell you what those aren't Pharisees we're talking about that's us Holy Spirit gave Paul a beautiful passage that gives us the right perspective. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Ah, you have to look at it. Go read it. It's a love chapter. You know that one, don't you? Huh? Okay. Uh, tells us the right kind of mindset that we're supposed to have as Christians. Paul says it, it, it's, it's the positive part of agape. You know that word. Positive part of that brother, that right kind of love. Listen to this. Love is patient and kind. The condemning mind isn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I put that in. <laughs> Love does not envy or boast. The condemning mind does. It's not arrogant or rude. The condemning mind is. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. Love never ends. You get the idea? Romans 14, Paul tells the church to stop judging each other and condemning each other when it comes to food and drink. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 20, 23 verses right before that, he says earlier that one may not do or think one, one thing and, and someone else differently, but they all need to think and do the same thing and do it all what? For the glory of God. That's the only way we're to think. You, can't, you won't have a condemning heart. If you're doing it for the glory of God. Now, how are you going to know what his glory is unless you talk to him and walk with him, read his word and know him? And then you'll know. The bottom line is this, folks. It's people of the world too often we respond with the wrong spirit or maybe a misinformed spirit, a misinformed mind without the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is looking at her heart again, isn't he? Oh, you know, I love that passage you read in the Old Testament. God always sees us. He sees us everywhere we go. He's always looking. Jesus is looking at her heart again right now. He's looking at your heart every day. Let me tell you what, folks. He's given us a ministry here. For his glory. And we're moving towards that. There are a lot of lives that are being changed. That we don't see. I think I may be on Sunday morning sometime. And if you came, come on Sunday night. You know there's, you may not even see it there. The way that you think it is. But I got to tell you this. Don't condemn anybody that comes here. Seeking the Lord. They're coming here for a reason. And there's a lot of lives that are being changed. I, can, I would love to give you some of the stories that are, that are happening, that are coming in this church right now. But you know what? I want you to discover them for yourself. And you do that with the fellowship here by working together. 
sharing Christ with the people that come here. And we're not going to condemn them, are we? We want them to know Christ. There's been a lot of hurtful things that have done here too for some of the folks that, that come here. But you know what? Not going to condemn them. I want them to know Christ. Don't you? Because that's a joy that never goes away. You know, I said earlier, there's sometimes, and I got to tell you, I am distraught and I hurt. And you know what? Pray for me. I pray for you. Can we work out a deal like that? Yeah. But you know what? In the middle of all of that distress and all of that, what we even call the cycle babble, we call depression. You know, even with all of that, there's a joy that can never be broken underneath it. The foundation is Jesus Christ. And he gives us a joy that just passes all of that. It goes past every bit of it. I want us to leave this morning rejoicing with this one verse. Romans 5, 8. And, uh, by the way, we have another Bible study on Friday that does Romans. Um, so you know what? You're going to get involved in one of these. I hope you will. Because we've got a lot of people that are really working through a lot of tough stuff. And let me tell you what happens to them when they do. They're under attack. Isn't that amazing? Jesus always wins. We're not going to even worry about that, are we? God shows us his love for in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know that one? God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may have sinned this week, but let me tell you something. Jesus died for you. If you receive his salvation, you receive him, he offers it. All you have to do is receive it. Let him come in and he'll change your life forever and ever. You may sin again next week. Jesus already died for you. Let me ask you something. I want you to think about this. You sinned this week and yet Jesus died for you, right? When did Jesus die for you? 2,000 years ago in time. He knows you. He died for you and all you have to do is receive him into your heart. Not one of us is righteous on our own, but only in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're ever righteous. Without him, we're utterly lost and we're doomed to hell. There is no way out except Jesus. You know what? We've condemned ourselves by judging others. That's what this verse really says. We're going to be judged by the same way we judge others, so don't do it. I want God to judge me. That's inevitable. It will happen. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ is my advocate. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ is standing right there with me before God. And he's going to say, you know what? Yeah, he was a sinner, but I took all of his sins away. He's, he's paid up, God, the Father. And he can enter into your glory because Jesus took away all the sins. Amen. Whoever hears my word and believes them, who sent me, has eternal life. Whoever hears my words, Jesus speaking, and hears them, the one who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from life to death. Amen. Lord, I thank you.
And I praise you, Lord, for your great work on the cross. Lord, that you are the one who stands with us so that we are not condemned. Lord, forgive us when we condemn others. Forgive us, Lord, when we show anybody anything but your love and your forgiveness and your mercy, which you have just poured out on us so lavishly, so much so, Lord, that we can live forever in your presence uncondemned. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are. Oh, Lord, may you be seen and you be, may you be known through each and every person here who has received you and by each and every person who comes into contact with us as you live in us. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to praise him. Can you praise him for that? Because you're a, you've been saved by Jesus Christ. We're going to stand together and sing a song. Your love, oh Lord. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Why don't you stand together and let's sing that. Let me tell you what.